going to turn to God's Word now and two short passages. First one from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, reading from verses 19 to 24. So that's on page 971. And then Colossians 3, uh, 15 to 17 on page 1184. Let's uh, remember that this is the Word of God. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness." If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then Colossians 3 from verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that because we need the illumination of your Holy Spirit to make this live in our lives, that you would open our hearts and our ears to what your Spirit would be saying to us through your Word. Be with Christoph as he comes now and leads us as we think about the implications of your Word for our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Monty. Um, folks, if you have that passage from Matthew's Gospel, keep it open before you. It's the, the one that we'll get to look at in just a moment. Uh, so this series on technology, um, I was thinking about it probably more than any other series. It feels like a conversation starter because um, the way technology works the technologies we have had in mind as we've been dealing with this series could well be out of date by the summertime or by this time next year. There'll be new technology questions that we'll have to think about and to face. So it's very much a conversation starter, but I hope, I hope it's been helpful to you to at least get your, your mind thinking about the role that technology plays in your life as a follower of Jesus. Three weeks ago when we started the series, I said we needed to change a question. Certainly for me, I had to change a question around technology. I was tending to ask myself a question, something like, how do I live in a world of technology? And the the question, I think, came from a a very uh, natural kind of way of thinking. Technology is all around us, it feels pervasive. So one of the questions is how can I survive? How can I live under this overarching sense of living in a technological world? 
I think while it's natural to be asking that question, we do need to ask a different question uh, and a better question. What kind of a life do I want to live? Once we've answered that question, then we're better placed to answer the, the technology question and to evaluate technology. We remind ourselves, I'm just recapping very quickly, we remind ourselves of the life that Jesus calls us to live. Jesus tells us that life to the full is all about two things. One thing really, it's about love, but loving two in two directions, loving God and loving our neighbor. That's the, the fullest and best kind of life. So if Jesus is right about that, then all of our technology questions relate to that. And the technology question becomes this. How does this technology or my use of it help me to love God and love my neighbor? If it doesn't, then so much the worse for that technology. I'm not interested because I want to learn to love God and love my neighbor. I want life, and that's where I'll find it. So Stephen helped us a couple of weeks ago to think about the, the family aspects of technology, building a tech-wise family, and I've been thinking a lot about uh, that, that sermon uh, ever since. Last week, Monty helped us to delve into some of the deeper impact that technology might be having on us, the ways our smartphone might be changing us is what we called it. And he warned us about the, the dangers of being addicted to distraction, of being so busy trying to capture our life in a photograph, something that we can post, that we don't live our life along the way. This morning I want to take a few moments to wrap up this short series. And as I say, I want to start there in Matthew chapter 6. Um, I said it, I think, three weeks ago when I started the series. There aren't many Bible passages that talk about technology. And if you think about that for a second, you'll, you'll see why. Not, not the kind of technology that we're thinking about. And one thing I'd say about this series, compared to other preaching series at Kirkpatrick, most of our preaching here is what I would call systematic expository preaching. We take a passage of the Bible, and we try to understand it and try to see how it might live in our lives. These topical series that we do from time to time, they're a bit different. But it doesn't mean the Bible's not important. If you're, if you're taking that away from this series, then I think you're misunderstanding. I just want to show uh, in this passage how Scripture is just absolutely fundamental for anybody who wants to learn to live wisely in the modern world. Wisdom is a big part of what God offers us in his word. So if you look there, verse 24... Jesus is teaching young disciples. It's very much a basic discipleship teaching kind of thing going on in the whole Sermon on the Mount. Chapter, the end of chapter 6, he turns to the questions of money and wealth. And then verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now look carefully there at the NIV, the way it renders that last sentence. You cannot serve both God and money, capital M. 
And you're thinking, that's a bit weird. Is that a typo? Why has money got a capital M? Well, it's to show us that the NIV is translating the Greek word mammon, which Matthew's used at this point. And mammon is something a little bit more than just money as a figure in your bank account. Mammon is like a personification of wealth. Mammon's what happens when money comes to life and grabs you and grabs your heart and starts to demand your allegiance. Whenever it starts to do that, then of course it's in, in direct conflict. It's taken on almost like a, a godlike role. Whenever it does that, it's in direct conflict with the living God. And that's why Jesus is able to set these two up as, as just direct opponents, mammon in that form, and God. Because we, we know that we've been called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. The living God will broker no rivals. You can't serve God and mammon. I've said already earlier in this series that when I got us started that technology has taken on a godlike status in our culture. People love tech. They put a lot of trust in it. A lot of their hopes lie in what technology is going to do for them, what it's going to do for the world. Go back to Jesus' teaching here for a second. Replace the word money with technology, tech. Works, doesn't it? We really cannot serve two masters. We can't put our hopes for our life and for the world in technology and at the same time say that we're trusting in the living God. If we do put too much of ourselves, invest ourselves too much in, in technology, capital T, then we're going to miss out on a lot of the life that we're being called to in Jesus. Folks, during this series, we've tried to avoid two pitfalls, and as, as I've preached myself and listened to Stephen and Monty, I hope we've got there, and that was to avoid the pitfall of saying that technology is all good, throw yourself right in there, pursue it, and to say that it's all bad, don't touch it with a barge pole, stay away from it. We've tried to avoid both of those extremes. If, if what I've just been saying here has sounded negative for a moment, then, then I say it shouldn't. And I, I just pick up on, on something that, that Monty was saying last week. Just a really useful way to think about this. Good sentence to lock in your head. Technology makes a great tool and a terrible master. We've probably heard that phrase before about one or two other things in our lives. A great tool and a terrible master. Uh, that's probably a good way to balance that good and bad side of things up a wee bit. I just want to spend a few moments this morning wrapping up the series by talking about a couple of quite, just want to talk personally, a couple of categories. I want to talk for a moment about some ways that text helped me to follow Jesus. And then I want to finish by talking about some things that are better than tech. Do we... Do we believe there are things better than tech? There are. And we're going to talk about that for a few moments. Some things that have helped me to follow Jesus. I, I need a disclaimer at this point. 
I went out to Bible class last week to talk to the teenagers while Monty was teaching here. So guess what? I gave them a sheet with two questions on it. Some things that have helped me, some ways tech's helped me follow Jesus, and some things that are better than tech. So the stuff that's going up here is their stuff, um, with a wee bit of mine thrown in. Okay, here's what they came up with, the kids in Bible class, how tech helps them follow Jesus. Reading the Bible, it is brilliant to have a Bible always in your pocket, the Bible app. One thing that I've grown to love, in the old days, it used to take you a while if you were studying and you were thinking of a verse and you, you had to go and find it. There was a thing called a thesaurus. No, a thesaurus is a, a different thing, a concordance. Every Bible verse, um, it was a kind of a technical tool, but a whopping big book that you had to use. Uh, when I started studying the Bible, that's how you found Bible verses. Do you know how I find them now? It's a bit embarrassing. I don't even use a Bible software. I just Google them. If you know two or three words out of a Bible verse and you start typing them into just the basic Google search engine, you'll have the verse in a second. That is brilliant. I love that. Uh, it's really good. So having the Bible on your phone is brilliant. Tell me this. For the, for the many of us who have the Bible app on our phone, does it mean you're reading your Bible far, far more? Some people are saying yes. Does anybody find all those other apps on the phone quite distracting from reading the Bible? Yeah? So it's brilliant. Brilliant to have the Bible in your pocket. Brilliant to be able to find anything at any moment. But, you know, it's not, not perfect by any means. Connecting with our friends, the kids said, uh, was a thing that really helped them. Not all stuff that happens on the internet between teenagers is cyberbullying. All right? If you believed the hype, you would think it was. Some of it's nice and encouraging. Kid comes home from school, reflects on the day, says, my, my friend over there looked to be having a hard time, sends him an encouraging text. That's lovely. That's good. Another thing they noticed was that it can help you connect with a wider church family. So we're dabbling in that a wee bit with church suite. Tell us in six months' time whether that's going well. Finding good churches is something that they said. Um, so if you're new in a neighborhood and you want to find a church, th this is a great way to, to at least discover them. I, I did that this week. I was trying to make contact with a minister who I knew of in Aberdeen, didn't know much about him or where he was, looked up the website, got him, and by the end of the week we were having a, a good conversation by email. Christian teaching, uh, so podcasting, I, I love this. Uh, the kids said they do too. So, um, by the way, there are thousands of streams of Christian teaching that you can listen to uh, on the internet. Um, I hope you don't mind me saying some are better than others. Is that all right? Um, I think it's true. Some will be more helpful to you than others. Uh, but the, I love, for example, listening in the Regent College, the place where I studied. Just a, a wonderful theological template for, for me, for life and ministry, and a lovely breadth of curriculum. They, they talk about a, a really whole life kind of range of things, so it's brilliant. Podcasting is a great help in church. So I, I've mentioned a couple of times I was physically in 
Bloomfield Collegiate School this time last week because I was working with our Bible class. But I wanted to know what Monty was talking about here. I mean, I'm not going to let somebody like Monty preach here without checking in to see what he's been saying, am I? So during this week, I get a chance to, to check in, but also to tie in with what he's been saying. And that, that's just brilliant. It, it just all arrived on my phone, stick in a pair of headphones, and I'm able to hear it. So podcasts, videos, we use the uh, Read Scripture videos in our Book by Book series. Christian content, lots of uh, Christian organizations. So if you wanted, for example, to learn more about the work that Christians in sport are up to, going online, you'd, you'd learn a lot there. Uh, Christian music, I think the kids said. Um, I don't listen to loads of Christian music, so I'll, I'll maybe say they. Uh, but, I, but I do occasionally get a chance to, to drop in and listen. So I've really only touched the tip of the iceberg. You could have added a lot to that. My purpose in sharing that was really twofold. One, to say that it really is true. Um, There are many ways in which an online presence can be a blessing to us. We can use technology to grow in Jesus. And the second purpose was maybe to inspire you to, to check that if you're somebody who enjoys being online, are you... Are you going for the good stuff? The stuff that will build you as a disciple? Last thing I want to talk about in this series, really. Another thing that I talked about with the young people last week. I I asked them to write down the things that they liked better than tech. Now, I was ready for a blank return here. Okay, and I was working with teenagers. What could be better than technology? I was waiting for that part of the session to be, you know, a tumbleweed moment. It wasn't. Very interesting. Here's some of the things the kids came up with. Spending time with family and friends. Oh. Because I'd heard heard from Bible class four or five years ago that a question was posed to the kids. If you could have only one of these two things, which would you have? If you could have your mobile phone or your family, which would you keep hold of? There was a lot of head scratching and a lot of anxiety in the room. People weren't just quite sure. So here the kids are saying, we like our families better than technology. Take that, isn't that good? That's what they said. Sports and games, great views in the outdoors, sleep, they said. Baking and good food and silence. I'm gonna talk for a couple of these for a moment. Just go a bit deeper with a couple of them. Very heartening list, I thought. What struck me about this was that there's some very ordinary things up there. Ordinary, healthy, any human being in any generation would always have said these and we hope they'll always keep saying them. And there's a reason for that. Albert Borgman, a philosopher who specializes in the relationship of human beings and technology, he says that our best defenses against the destructive aspects of technologies are to engage in what he calls focal practices. Now, he's a smart guy and he writes books and stuff, so focal practices, I think he just means doing real things, all right? He 
encourages us to do real things, to play some music, to make something, to cook a meal, to spend some time with people face to face. And that's pretty much what the kids told me last week. This is the good stuff. This is the stuff that's better than technology. Why is it a good thing for a follower of Jesus Christ to go for a walk in a beautiful setting and to enjoy beautiful views? Well, here's why. Because much more than sitting looking at a a tablet or a phone or a television, it reminds us of our creator God. Because he created something so spectacular, we're never going to get close to making it. And when we see the beauty of his creation, we're reminded of him and we're reminded a little bit of ourselves, who he is and who we are. A walk in a pine forest. Somebody, I need to research this further. Apparently walking in a forest is the healthiest thing you can do. Something about forests. Saw a great image recently which got me thinking about the interface then between technology and this beautiful created world. I don't know how well you can see it if we pop that up. So there's a guy and a girl sitting together holding hands on a park bench. The guy's eyes are down. He's looking at his phone and the wee tweet symbols uh, from his Twitter feed are there. He's sending and receiving tweets. The girl's eyes are up and she's looking at a branch overhead. She's enjoying a bird song. Real, beautiful tweets. And the message is clear. The danger in the modern world is that we're so busy tweeting that we miss the bird song. Or to put it last, as Monty did last week, too busy looking down to be any more looking up. It's not a good thing. Within the last month, I read an article in the Guardian newspaper reminding me that spending time connecting with the natural world is just a great invitation to health and life. Getting close to nature, especially, they say, listening to birdsong, doesn't just bring physical benefits, it helps improve our mental and emotional well-being. Not just some warm, fuzzy feeling. The scientists at the University of Surrey, they have been studying the restorative benefits of birdsong and they've been testing whether it really does improve your mood. They discovered that of all natural sounds, bird songs and calls were those most often cited as helping people recover from stress and allowing them to restore and refocus their attention. One of you will know, tell me at the door on the way out, is it true that there's 90 seconds of birdsong on the radio every day? I think I read that this week. I'll maybe need to research that. might start listening to that. He restores my soul, says the Lord, says David of the Lord in Psalm 23. But only after he's brought us into green pastures and beside still waters. I love how Annie Dillard talks about this, God's gift in creation. She says that beauty and grace are performed whether or not we will or sense them. The least we could do is try to be there. I love that. It's like she's saying, God's created this incredible world. The least we could do is show up. Have a look. 
One more thing about this interface between God's creation and social media. We need to learn, at least occasionally, to go and enjoy an experience of God's creation without Instagramming it. We need to recover a little of that. You see, there's a danger that social media is going to rob us of just the, the simplest and most beautiful of God's gifts. Say, for, say I go for a walk in the mountains and I have some beautiful views. They've, they've awed me. They've connected me to the living God. And then I reach for my phone, I take the photograph and spend the rest of that day making sure that the filters are all right, that it's the best possible version of that photograph, and then spend the rest of the evening checking how many likes I've received for my post. An experience that started off with me being awed with the living God deteriorates into something about me trying to draw other people's admiration to me. Think for a second of the language of social media. It is very telling. We go online so that people will follow us. We post stuff to see how many likes we can get. So I'm posting to get people to like me and to follow me. Folks, I need to say this. That's an extremely unhealthy way to live. I think that's cyanide for the soul. A person who's been captured by Jesus Christ has an entirely different world in their mind. Because rather than getting likes for themselves, they want to see love for Jesus Christ. Rather than having people follow them, they want to see the world, every last person come to follow him. I'm not sure you can do both of those things at the same time. Reminds me of what Paul says in Colossians, the, the verse, uh, we read it together a moment ago, Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name or for the glory of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever we do, for his glory, not for mine. It really is all about him, not me. We'd better try to wrap things up. Cooking a meal, I'm not a cook. I'd better be careful what I say here. I did have a go a few weeks ago. We had my family coming, 20 of us together, so I offered to make one of the casseroles um, after the first, we were co-cooking at the time, Claire and I both cooking at the same time. I don't know if you've ever tried that in your marriage. Be wary, So all I'll say. The first five minutes were dodgy enough, but it, it got better. Um, cooking a meal, so you have real ingredients in your hand. Just a, about as close a connection with the created order as as we get in these lives that we live, you, you get to contemplate the 20 people who are going to gather. And during the time that it takes, it takes time, you get to have them in your mind and think of them and pray for them. That was a good thing. I'd like to do that again sometime. 
not just the creation of the food, the eating of it. Um, this series, I, I, well, pa- Patrick's here. Um, I feel bad for our kids. When we preach this stuff, then we'll have to do stuff about it. So we have the mobile phone basket now in our living room, or our dining room, sorry. When you come to the meal, you put your phone in the basket. We were out with a discipleship group recently for, uh, and took a takeaway together, so I passed around my baseball cap and made everybody put their phone in and we set it aside. I was talking to our kids about this. They were saying our friends don't actually eat together with their families anymore, so this, this wouldn't even make sense. But folks, loving God, loving one another, we've got to, got to find ways. Silence. I loved that one of our kids put silence as one of the things that they thought was better than technology. Um, we live in a really noisy world, and I want to use that word in a slightly more technical way. I don't mean just audible sounds. There's a, a thing, a, such a thing as visual noise as well, where, where there's always stuff flashing up before us. So, so I'm, I'm using noisy in a very broad way. It's a very distracting world that we live in. Have you found ways to turn it off? For me, it, it took me a while to cotton on to this. The notifications I get on my phone, most of them I don't want or don't need. What's the one app that needs to send me notifications? No, not, not email. I don't need to know at all times what other people are sending me. I can drop into that. Maybe just, you know, think about it. Which notifications could we turn off to get something better than noise into our lives? Sleep. Um, I, I hope you've had a chance to think about this. Are you sleeping with your smartphone? Don't do it. Two, two theological greats helped me with this. Um, Chris Evans and C.S. Lewis. Chris Evans, a few years ago, he was on on the radio in the morning in our house just talking about how he and his wife had decided the phone doesn't come into their bedroom anymore. It charges overnight somewhere else. I said, wow. So I started doing that. And then I was rereading Lewis in Mere Christianity. He talks about the difficulty of living for Jesus, how it has to start fresh every day. He says, it comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All our wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply of shoving them all back in listening to that other voice taking that other point of view, letting the other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. Folks, it seems to me that starting my life each day with a smartphone is like uncaging all the wild animals and saying, come on ahead, gobble me. And I don't want to do that. The phone sleeps in the study. Create stuff. Folks, we've been made to be creative people. Make music. Write a letter. I read a brilliant article about the importance of handwriting. It got me thinking, if there's anybody here who has a spare fountain pen that they don't need and don't think they're ever going to need again, bring it to me and let me borrow it. Because I, I don't think I ever learned how to do proper handwriting. And one of the things I'd like to have a go at, a wee hobby, is maybe to learn to write. 
47, so it seems like it's about time. Everything you send out on a word process document makes us all exactly the same. If I pass around 200 sheets and 200 fountain pens, I get 200 different handwritten experiences. This is a way to be human. This, these, these focal practices, these live in real life. Folks, we have run out of time. We're trying to follow Jesus in the age of technology. To those who say, we have to embrace every technology. After all, technology is the newest idea. To them, we say this. Well, if, if using technology is the new idea, we have an even newer one. Not to use it or to choose not to, if we wish. To those who say, but there's so much to gain through using technology and using it all the time, we say, yeah. But what does it profit a man? if he gain the world and lose his soul. We're cyber disciples. We may well live in the age of technology, but we're going to keep following Jesus. Amen.